So I, I just say start small and, and start straight away. You know, don't put, don't like put two years into an event that you think you're going to get 300 people for, you know, just do it right now and get 10, 20, 30 people, you know, even if a few of those are your friends and they're just turning up to fill the numbers up, you know. So just starting small works every time. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, where we examine the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. Our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There is a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we wanted to get behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build a business like this. We've had some incredible guests like Bobby Edwards, the founder of Squatty Potty, who built a $35 million per year company with just 17 employees, and JP Sears, the YouTube superstar whose videos are going viral all over the internet. I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and we hope you enjoy the show. The Business Method. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. We're glad you joined us. Today, we welcome Dan Taylor to the show. Dan has built and sold two businesses, one SaaS business and the other a consultancy. Now he runs a large location independent business called App Servants, which is a Google education partner and runs over 300 events per year. He has also recently built and launched eventsframe.com. On top of that, Dan was one of the original co-founders of MicroConf Europe. On the show, we get to chat with Dan about the specifics of his two businesses. We learn what it's like running a massive seven-figure, 300 events per year business. Dan also shares with us what it was like to help build MicroConf Europe and offer some great suggestions on how you can create your own event. Without further ado, let's welcome Dan to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And you guys, I'm really excited to welcome Dan Taylor. You're actually coming back to the show because we tried to record a couple days ago and my my Skype froze up and crashed and it took me 45 minutes to come back up. That's true. But Dan's, Dan is, has been really flexible and... Um, and compassionate. <laughs> and so so thanks for understanding, Dan, and welcome back. Yeah, we're glad to have you. How are you? No, great, thanks. Pleasure to be on. I've listened to quite a few of your episodes, so it's, it's cool to talk. Can I put you on the spot? Yeah, of course. Which which one did you like the best? Oh, it's tough. The ones I was listening to were all, all the old ones, really, so it's tough to say. One second. Yeah. No, you have put me on the spot now because now I've my yeah. mind's been But I wasn't lying. I have listened to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. That's who okay. It, it no, the, the one, you know, the one I was listening to recently was the guy who was in uh, Phoenix who had, had, the, had the issues with, um, you know, alcohol and everything. And you were talking to him about it. I've forgotten his name, but it was, that was a really good one. He's in the yes. DC as well. Yes. Um, Russ Perry. Russ exactly. Perry. Russ Perry, who I've met, actually. I was in a mastermind with him. That's right. I should remember his name. And he was, because yeah. um, I think you said you'd lived in, in, in Arizona as well. And he was, that was interesting because he was being quite open about his, uh, you know, his demons, whatever, which, which, which was cool. Actually, I'd, li- I'd like to talk to him about it if I meet him in person. That was, that was, I remember because actually I was listening to that episode when I was hiking in, uh, in the Alps. So that's a, 
Yeah. I, I've seen a, a general trend amongst entre- entrepreneurs, especially those in the DC or kind of at, at, at a more mature level that they're digging more into this idea of being as authentic and um, I guess you could say vulnerable as as possible and really just kind of letting it all out and letting the world know about it so they can uh, find a new grounding in themselves. I don't know. Have you Have you seen that amongst other entrepreneurs too? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that was a, that was an unusual episode because like the whole you know, you know like in in our kind of scene of the people who are you know like location independent type entrepreneurs, a lot of people are such so kind of into the healthy living side of things. You know, in terms of eating really cleanly and not drinking and not taking drugs, that like that's almost like the worst thing to admit to that like you know you've been drinking and stuff. You know, like <laughs> like you know I, I've definitely like been out with DCs and I've had like three beers and people are like. Yeah, Beers, you know that's crazy you know? <laughs> but, uh, so I think that was actually I, I don't think that I think that, that what he was talking about Russ was talking about isn't something people talk about that much actually yeah um, yeah he, but I think, he goes I, think deep. I think opening people talk more about their business failures more that's become kind of an okay thing to talk about the fact that you know yeah you just you know it's happened to all of us you know if you've worked a lot on a project and it just didn't go anywhere you know yeah of course and I think that that kind of separates um, on, you know, a certain level of entrepreneurs from people that are afraid or, you know, maybe this isn't the path in life for them because we have to, we have to face and embrace and overcome so many freaking failures to get to the point to where we are, you know, and it's humiliating sometimes for an, for your ego, for our egos. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's not for everyone. You know, I think, I think, I think you've, you've mentioned that in your podcast and, and, it's. I think people you can it can get glamorized a little bit, you know, because everybody wants to quit their job. You know, you, not everybody, but you know, <laughs> more than fifty percent of people want to get rid of a job. They don't want a boss. They mainly don't want to have to turn up at an office every day at nine and leave at six. Uh, and the thing is, you know, you you do get rid of all that when you've got your own business, but you've got a whole lot of other existential crisis. You know, the fact that you don't get paid, you know, you're not making any money. Like no one pays you um, is is a real thing. You know, and, and you, it often takes you a while to to really get much income coming in. Uh, and, and also, you know, your, I, in my opinion, your customers become your boss. You know, you don't have a boss, but your yeah. customers are your boss because they've got the right to harass you and they do, you know? Yeah. Your customers are future customers, those that you think may may be willing to pay you sometime. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you have to create a, a product or a service, you know, and say like, oh, okay, these guys will actually pay me, but before they wouldn't pay me for that. Um, yeah, exactly. What's been your, you know, how long have you been an entrepreneur now, Dan? I guess, um, well, I, I guess it, it depends where you count it from. Because I, uh, I guess 19 years ago, I started contracting, which I uh-huh. guess is like a you know, stepping stone to being, yeah. I mean, some people, I mean, there's guys in our community who are still just contractors, not, not just, but you know, that's what they do. And they're entrepreneurs, you know, because you've, you've got your own company. So yeah. I, I, I was a contractor probably... Uh, 19 for 19 years and then I started let me just get my dates right probably like for 14 years as an entrepreneur 14 years after contracting just just running businesses nothing else what would you say is has been the biggest challenge for you in those 14 years so many. I mean, I, I think knowing what to focus on, you know, I mean, I've had a few businesses 
Uh, a couple I've I've managed to sell, and uh, you know, not not for kind of Silicon Valley money, but enough to keep me going for a while. And 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 you never know if you've had a bit of success. Should you just keep going? I, mean, I know it's a topic that comes up a lot now. Should you you know keep going with it? Uh, I've had businesses that haven't done very well, and 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 I've and you never know. Should you ditch it? So always the biggest challenge, and it's constant. Is are you doing? Are you working on the right thing? Should I ditch this? Should I be working on this different area? You know, it, that's always always really hard for me how do you how do you what's your thermometer or your gauge of knowing when to ditch a project or product or service i guess it probably just comes down to when it's starting just to really annoy me and i just really have just had enough and it's just, you know, it's like it's 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 tough you know um there, there never is a right time because so many people tell you that you know it's like darkest before dawn and just when you think you're going to give up that's when you're going to have success and then sometimes you keep going through that and then you don't have success you know yeah. so I, I just think honestly I think it's just when I start getting really sick of something you know I'm like if, if something's annoying me to the point and, and things do annoy you when they're not making money as I'm sure you know like you know you can yeah. you can put up with a lot of crap if something's making you money but if it's not <laughs> if, it's, if it's literally making you nothing or a very low amount of money and you're working like crazy on it like it can annoy you really easily yeah, that's very uh, so yeah, I, I, I think that's it. You know, just if something, you know, one of the benefits of doing what we do is you, you, you've got to try to do things you enjoy. And if something, if you're not enjoying something, then I think you've got to ditch it at a certain point. Right. Do you? I'm sure you've had this experience. Do you like? You can enjoy the overall picture of what you're doing, but hate or despise or or, or extremely dislike some of the little things or uh, the projects in between. I'm curious, yes. like, like when you're, you're feeling that personally, um, what keeps you going through that, that adversity? I think it's just like, like, you know, there's certain things I hate doing. Like I hate all the financial admin and keeping on top of that, but you, but you have to do it, you know, you, as a company yeah. owner, like you absolutely have to do it. I think the thing that keeps me going is I, I, I compartmentalize those things. So I'll have a day like I'm just going to nail the quarter end finance stuff today. I'm just going to work on that. I'm going to deal with, I've got a finance person who works for me. I've got an accountant I deal with. And I'll just, I'll, I'll say this this day, and sometimes it might end up being two days or three, you know, but I'll just work hard on it and I'll get it over with and then I'll try to get back onto what I enjoy. I think if I have to constantly do things I don't enjoy, you know, I, 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 well, I, I don't like it. I just try to avoid it. So I, I try to focus on, on the annoying things and get them out of the way, I guess. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so you're running now App Servants and Events Frame. Those yeah. are your two. Those are your two main businesses. That's all I do. Yeah, just those two things. Exactly right. Yeah. Gotcha. And I had a question about you about App Servants. You mentioned that you were a Google Education Partner, and I know yes. nothing about this. What does that What does that mean? Yeah, everyone everyone says the same thing. So um, <laughs> the, the company is Absevents, A-P-P-S-E-V-E-N-T-S dot com. Uh, and what we do is we run, um, effectively, we run training for teachers on how to use Google products. So, and everyone's always like, well, everyone knows how to use Google. But, you know, cause, but like, obviously, Google's got so many things um, mm-hmm. that schools use. Like, if you go to school now, like more than half the schools in the US use something called Google Classroom, which is a learning management system, which, you know, all the really? lessons and the, uh, the homework is done through Google Classroom. Really? Uh, yeah, all, all this, the, the, the teachers shares the coursework with the students through Google Classroom. Parents have access to it for, for, for later years. Wow. For early years. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, and so that's a huge thing. There's also Chromebooks, which I, I don't know if you know about Chromebooks, but they're Google's, huh. you know, laptops with Google's operating system. 
And Chromebooks are huge now, uh, in the US especially, because of the Common Core, which came in a few years ago. You know, they really helped to do the testing and stuff. Uh, I think something like 70% of schools in the US use Chromebooks uh, now. Not, uh-huh. not, not across the whole school. So, so there's Chromebooks, is there, and then there's everything from using YouTube in the classroom to using Google Maps and Google Earth in geography teaching, uh, you know, training teachers on, uh, like, um, technology teachers on getting kids developing Android apps. So anything to do with Google in school. So we run conferences, uh, and then we run certification courses. So there's a bunch of certification courses. So, so in terms of what a Google for Education partner is, we're what's called a PD partner, which is a training partner, which means we run training events for, for, for schools specifically. There's also technology partners um, and resellers. So there's, there's, there's companies who do like consulting where, you know, they'll implement G Suite, you know, which is what Google mm-hmm. Apps is called now, or they'll, set up, or they'll do a Chromebook project or they'll resell Chromebooks. There's software partners, which I was also one of those, where you make some software that integrates with, with, with Google. Uh, and then there's the big OEMs, you know, there's the Acer's and the, and the, uh, the HP's and, and Samsung's and people that make Chromebooks. So there's a, there's a whole ecosystem. Google's really, really clever, as I'm sure you know. Like they don't, yeah. they don't get involved in anything that doesn't make an absolute fortune. So anything <laughs> like all this stuff, they just have partners do it. You know, Google just focuses on making good products and, and, and they're just printing money from Google AdWords, as you know. You know, that's, that's where the money comes from. Uh, yeah. It, that's amazing. I had no idea they had such uh, 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 a significant dominance in the educational system in the United States. That is that is mind blowing. They really because Microsoft had everything kind of wired up, but then Microsoft was just being really stupid in that they were charging schools for uh, their products. I mean, they had a discounted rate, you know. Whereas uh-huh. Google came in and said everything's free, hundred percent free, <laughs> forever for life. And by the way, it's twice as good as Microsoft. And they just, yeah. I mean, why, as a school, as a school uh, principal or superintendent, like, why wouldn't you go Google? Because your kids are all using Google anyway at home. You know, they don't want to use Microsoft products. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you guys are doing over 300 events a year under yeah. App Servants, right? Wow. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, how do you manage that many events? It's, well, it's, with great difficulty sometimes. It's, <laughs> I mean, like, literally now, I'll have to fight my calendar. I don't even know what events I've got going on, like as we speak, but, but essentially how I've done it now is, um, cause, cause we, we grew regionally. Like the first event I ran in Prague, I, li- I live in Prague, although I'm English. And, and then the second one was Bangkok. The third one was Arkansas. So it was really just, I was running, I ran one event, someone came, they wanted to do another one. And so it was kind of worldwide from day one. So what happened was I ended up getting some people who came to present who were generally teachers who, who I worked with more and more and wanted to become, you know, to come and, and work with me. So now how it works is I've got a bunch of regional directors who run their region like a mini business. So I have somebody in the U.S. who runs the U.S. as a business, uh, two people in the U.K. who run the U.K. as a separate business. Uh, mainland Europe, I have one person. Uh, I have somebody who does Asia and the Middle East. He's based in Bangkok. And, and just a month ago, we hired someone who's in Peru who does uh, Latin America. So each of these people kind of coordinate it. And then we have a central team in the Philippines, in Cebu, um, who does all the back-end stuff, so creating all the event websites, doing all the, you know, the marketing on Facebook and, and Twitter, uh, dealing with the attendee registration thing. So kind of we have this central team in, in Cebu, mm-hmm. and then each other team is managed by a region. And most of the speakers, uh, you know, we did, they're just contractors, or, or some of them come for free, but most of them work full-time for schools. And, and why do you choose Prague? 
as your residence? I, 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 got, I had a job here. I used to work for Deloitte Consulting in, in London. And uh, uh-huh. someone came up to me in the office one day, literally, and said, you know, do you want to go to Prague? Somebody else was going to go and he didn't want to go for family reasons. Uh, and I was single at the time. And it was literally, okay, we're going to pay you your UK salary to live in Prague. And we'll pay you an apartment. Uh, and I was like, this is the best deal ever. Like, you know, but nobody wanted to go for some reason. You know? they, I guess they thought London was where the, you know, uh, the action. promotion. Promo- yeah, the action, the promotion, prospects, you know, the networking. I didn't care about any of that. I was just like, I'm going to go to Prague. So, but I hear, I, hear, I hear it's an amazing city, right? You've got to come. It's beautiful. Um, it's, it's great. You know, I, I like the mountains. I'm really into skiing and snowboarding. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I can be on the slopes in, in 45 minutes from, from my house, which is a lot oh, of people wow. don't know about Prague. Yeah, I didn't know uh, that at all. And, wow. and it's really close. Like Berlin uh, is like less than three hours away. Same for Vienna. Yeah. Uh, Munich as well is really close. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a cool city, you know. Uh, not everyone likes it. It's not for everyone, but, it, but I love it. And it's cheap as well. I mean, a lot of digital nomads here because just the cost of living is... It's about as cheap as any capital city in Europe. I don't, I don't think there's a cheaper capital city in Europe than Prague to live, overall cost of living. And you have uh, DCX Prague coming up, is that right? Or did you have that already? Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not involved in that, but I'm, I'm actually going to contact the guy today. I'd like to, I'd like to get involved. Uh, yeah, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I just learned something about you that I didn't know, which is really cool, that you, you were a co-founder and helped started MicroConf in Europe, right? Yeah, what happened was, so Rob and Mike were running uh, MicroConf in Vegas, and then I just dropped an email to Mike uh, just out of the blue. I didn't know him or, or anything. I think, I think Dan, Dan from uh, Tropical MBA knew him, and I maybe referenced him. And I said, look, mm-hmm. I'd like to, would you like to do a European one? I'll, I'll partner with you. And, uh, and they, they, we got on a, a call, on a Skype call, and they were really keen. So we did the first two together in Prague. Uh-huh. Uh, with Rob and Mike, which is great. And then they, they did it by themselves in uh, Barcelona, I believe, after that. Barcelona and Portugal. Nice. So it's great. Yeah, but I'm still in touch with them. And uh, it, was, it was a great experience, you know. It was, um, I didn't get into that thinking I'd make any money out of it, although we did make some money. It was just a, just a chance to get to see Rob and Mike, you know, and, and learn a bit about building SaaS businesses, you know. That's such a great example because I've actually done that myself where you you know you go and you you give value to an organization that's already um, giving a lot of value and successful, and you help them expand without any thought of you know r- anything in return other than just the experience. Um, and then all of a sudden, now you're partners with these amazing guys. You've made some money with them, and yeah. your network is just fully expanded. I did the same with I don't know if you're familiar, but I helped the DC build um, DC Barcelona for 2015 and 2016. That's right. I, I you was on a, you were on a podcast. One, I remember yeah. re- listening about a podcast about that. Yeah. Yeah, and I was in Barcelona, and and those guys wanted to to bring an event there, and they love Barcelona, and I said, okay, well, and I didn't I didn't think anything of it. I was like, yeah, I just want a, a giant conference with a bunch of people that I like to be around and some partying. Yeah, and I yeah, just thought yeah. it'd be fun, like so much fun. And then um, I, I uh, yeah, and I got so much. It was one of the best business moves I ever did. Really? really, yeah. And, and you're still, are you still doing Entrepreneur House? Because we were, I, I think I mentioned this, I checked my email and we were in touch a long time ago because I was interested yeah. to come to Chiang Mai after DC Bangkok and I, I couldn't, the dates didn't work in the end. But uh, that's kind of interesting because you're in the event space as well. I mean, that's, that's a, kind of a long-term event thing. Yeah. So the Entrepreneur House is kind of um, 
originally, you know, it was uh, at least a month long. Yeah. And yeah, I did it uh, around the world and it was a fun, great experience. But I always knew that I wanted to go to shorter term events a just because. Must be tiring, you know? Oh my just, gosh, man. Because you're always, because you want to, because I know what it's like when you run an event, you want to make sure everyone has a good time. And if it's for a month, yes. they've got to have yes. a good time for a month. <laughs> and that's a lot yeah, of times. Exactly. And everybody had a great time. Like people said, you know, this was life changing and da da da. And the, the one person that wasn't having a great time was me because I was so stressed out so um plus another thing the 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 word entrepreneur is trademarked by entrepreneur magazine and they'd been suing people who use that word in their business yeah and so I talked to some uh, an attorney that represented somebody that that handled a case and long story short he said change the name and I thought okay this is a perfect time to rebrand but also reposition myself not as the entrepreneur house guy but as uh, the business method guy that's doing um, more shorter term events focused on kind of productivity. So long story short, we're doing events. Yes, we're doing one um, in Chiang Mai this year, but it's called the Get Shit Done Retreat. And so it's basically 10 days. And we we did a test last year, actually, of uh, the same model, but it's 10 days. You focus on one or two big business goals, um, and then you you hack away at it for 10 days. But you also have the option to stay longer, which most people most people did last year and then we afterwards then we went and had fun and rode mountain bikes and visited temples and that sort of thing so so it's so, just kind of shifted the directions a little bit and you did you did rio as well is that right um, rio barcelona and thailand yeah nice mm-hmm. that's cool um, yeah so uh another question i was going to ask you oh you're you're new new is it a new event it's a newer business right yeah exactly yeah it's new you know we only we only launched well We've been working on it for six months, but we launched it uh, last month. Uh, Events yeah. Premier. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's that's really cool. It's um, so I've got three partners in that actually. Two guys who work with me in Apps Events, and the fourth, the third partner is uh, Simon Payne, who you probably know. Uh-huh. Simon was a technical co-founder of Lead Pages, uh, yeah. and he lives here in Prague as well. But it's interesting; I'd never met him. I actually met him in Berlin at a DC event, first DC event in, in Berlin. Uh-huh. Uh, we became friends. Uh, and now, so we've worked together on this. It's What it is, is uh, it's an event registration and, and attendee management system. So I don't know if you've used like Eventbrite or Ticketbase or any of these systems. Ticketbase, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's really similar to, to that. Um, actually, the DC is just moving DC Bangkok onto it, actually. But it's, it's an attendee management system. But what we've gone for is like super, well, first of all, functionality. We've got really good... You know, you can build really good landing pages, really, really flexible in terms of the discount tickets. So, you know, you can offer lots of different discounts and free tickets. Mm-hmm. But also the problem we found with most of these systems was the pricing. You either get companies who wouldn't, they wouldn't tell you the pricing or they charge a percentage like, like ticket base. I think they charge like 1% or a dollar a ticket. Some of them, you know. I think uh, event, both. Yeah. yeah. Eventbrite charged like 3% or something. So we've yeah. just gone for fixed fee. Like our unlimited plan, it's just $49 a month. You can run as many events as you want. You can, as many attendees as you want, you know, whatever. So um, yeah, it's, it's going great. We, we've, um, we've got our first few customers. Obviously we use it ourselves in apps events and we built it for ourselves, which was a, you know, a good way to do it, I think. Uh, and we're getting customers now. So it's, it's great. We're really, really enjoying it actually. Back in the sense right. You know, the thing about TicketBase is that uh, I swear to God, there's only one person behind TicketBase because yeah. I've tried to work with their customer service before and it takes days for them to get back. And it's always from the same person. And I'm pretty sure that's the same as the founder. So yeah. I, I, I've had some troubles with TicketBase. So this well, is 
that's one thing I really want to go for is, is, is like really, really good support. I mean, I've, I've, I've invested so much time now building the team up in Cebu. You know, I've got, I've got three employees in Cebu and I want to build that team uh, for, 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 for this company as well, you know. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's customer support is huge. You know, if, if somebody can just reply to the email immediately and get, and get on a, a phone call if, if they need to, like that's worth so much, I think, for keeping customers. So that's what... Um, I think you can have a product that's not as good. And if you've got good support, people will stay with you, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dan, I want to ask you some more and chat about sure. your the way you you create and design events. And something that I've come to notice more and more of is that there's, there's not a lot of information out there um, on people sharing about their experience of building and creating these events. And most people think, oh, this you know, oh, somebody had microconf in Europe. That was an easy thing to do. All they did is reached out to to the the founders, and boom, they have one, and boom, they're making three hundred thousand dollars. You know, on their first event, which seldom is the case. Yeah. Um. But I, I'm just kind of curious about your process and timeline, like how much it takes, how much time it takes to create conferences for you. And I'd love to chat more about microconf and um, the experience that you've had with that. Sure. You know, it's interesting because the people have different opinions about events and they're kind of both wrong like one is what you said like it's kind of people some, some people think it's easy to run an event um and, and, it, and it's not i mean microconf is if you look at those guys they had a, a big podcast with a huge audience already so they mm-hmm. had a an email list which they knew they could email the list and they'd get 100 attendees just from the first email you know that's how that's how it went with with microconf um but then i think you know what's interesting is people don't really say is more common is you know you know what's if you ever talk to anyone who runs a conference they always say, oh, I don't make any money out of it. I don't make any money out of it. <laughs> and it's, it's crap because, looks, I mean, big events make an absolute fortune. I mean, if you, do, if you get it right with events, you, it's printing money, you know. I mean, yeah. I, know, I know events, plenty of events making, you know, six-figure profit per event, you know, plenty of them. But people don't want to talk about it for some reason. They want to say, because I think partly it's, you know, you want to be sure you're into the community and you're not just doing it for the money. So everyone, so that's kind of the other side of it, you know. I mean, it's not the easiest way to make money. But people do make money. And it's interesting. I was chatting to um, a guy in Hong Kong the other week. And he mentioned a couple of business brokers. And all they do is sell conference companies, which I never even knew about. I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, really? since 2012. I didn't even know these brokers existed. They just sell events companies. Like, so, you know, it is, um, you can make money. That's kind of, I'll, I'll, <laughs> kind of a roundabout <laughs> way of getting to them. But in terms of how, how I organize events, um, we're kind of unique that we run events in partnership with a school. So we'll do we'll do like a Google Summit. We'll, we call it. It's like a two day conference. But we'll um, get a school who's interested to host it, uh, and we will um, promote it together. So the school will also promote the event, and, and we'll promote it as their event. You know, like for example, we just did one. I was across in Peru with the American School of Lima. We ran an event. You know, it's their event. They're good. You know, they're getting all the publicity for bringing bringing the Google event to their school. So, so how we do it's a bit different. To most people, in the, it's it's a, it's a partnership every, every time, you know, like we run it with a school. I mean, it's, it's not a financial partnership. I mean, we, we keep the money, but it's a partnership in terms of promoting it and, and organizing it. Right. How about the process of, of creating MicroConf in, in Europe? What what was kind of the the first stepping stones after, you know, contacting those guys that you personally went through to to create this this event? Sure. Well, the first thing is you've got to you've got to pick a date, you've got to pick a venue, and you've got to get some speakers. They're the three things you've got to have in place before you can announce a conference, you know, because no one's going to sign up for a conference. Uh, like 
maybe if people have been to it for a few years and they know it's great, they'll sign up without a speaker. But but nine out of ten people want to see speakers. So you first of all got to pick your date, and that's the hard thing. You've got it because you know if you pick the wrong date you'll halve your attendees, you know, because yeah. it's whatever. You, you think, what country are people coming from? Do these people like to come to conferences during the week or at the weekend? Um, you know, is this a school holiday? And if it is a school holiday, is that good or bad? Some people, maybe if they're younger, single people, they want to come. You know, they don't care. If they've got families, they can't come in school holidays. So it's, it's, a, it's really hard to pick a date. And then the second problem is, if, if you're holding it at a hotel, the, the popular dates get booked up really soon as well. You know, so then you've got to hunt around for a hotel. So... Mm-hmm. dates venue the venue is the, is the, is the real thing because if, if you're hosting it at a, at a, at a hotel you know how, how hotels work is they have something called a delegate day rate which is like give or take in Europe say 50 euros per person per day that's what you're going to pay for the for the conference venue you know the lunch and coffee breaks and you know the AV equipment and stuff it might be more might be less but a good guideline would be 50 pounds or 50 dollars a day mm-hmm. um, so I mean, you know, quite often you'll have to pay a third of it up front, you know, a couple of months before the event. So you've got to be really sure that, you know, that's where you take your risk, that you're going to get, get some people. Uh, you can get around that by doing it at cheaper venues, actually. You know, you know, there's plenty of people who run smaller events at co-working spaces. Like I think DC Barcelona that you organized was, it was a co-working mm-hmm. uh, space. Um, there's also obviously, you know, schools and different things. But, but yeah, so, so first of all, dates... Uh, venue and then you've got to get a few speakers lined up and that's kind of a hard thing you know because it's good if you know some speakers who, who will commit to come for free or you know or for a low fee because again you don't want to commit to be spending a lot of money up front before you have sold any tickets you know yeah um, although obviously you can can you can cancel speakers but you don't want to mess people around you know especially for friends so um, yeah speakers getting getting I, I always like to get four good speakers lined up to have on the website when it launches uh, and then speakers, you've got your venue, you've got your dates, then you can promote it. And you, I don't believe, I mean, people do this, but I think it's really bad practice to, to, to promote an event before you've got all those in place. You know, if you promote it saying, well, you know, we'll just, we're not, maybe it's this venue, maybe it's somewhere else. People yeah. can't book hotels because they don't know where they're going to be staying. You know, I, I always like to get them in place and then promote the heck out of it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, for people out there that have followings or actually here's here's a, a good question people out there that, that that either have followings or don't have followings but they're uh, hesitant to create their first event they're interested in doing it um what would be some i mean you just gave us some good tips any other tips that you would give yeah i've, I've just just been previous of a friend uh, dan johnson who's actually in prague uh, he's in dc as well actually and uh He's got a, you know, he he was he's got a, you know, he runs some online courses and he has an audience, but you know, nothing like, nothing like Robert Mike. So what I always advise people is just start small, make it a meetup, you know, get 20, 30 people for a day or for an afternoon or for however long you can, but just make it small, because if you get a few people in a room and have they have a good experience, and the next time you promote the event, it's year two or it's event number two, you know, you've already got a track record. People are much likely to register for an event if they see it's already been going and it's, it's already, you know, successful. So I, I just say start small and, and start straight away. You know, don't put it, don't like put two years into an event that you think you're going to get 300 people for, you know, just do it right now and get 10, 20, 30 people, you know, even if a few of those are your friends and they're just turning up to fill the numbers up, you know? Yeah. So just starting small works every time. 
I think too, like keep it low cost because it Definitely. seems like so many people they want to create their first event and it you know be extravagant. They want it to be extravagant. They want it to to have the best speakers and oh, we gotta have this amazing lunch and cater all different types of food to all these different diets and everything. And yeah. then they you know a lot of people just lose money and I've seen people lose yeah. a lot of money on their first few events because they want to do it like that. Yeah, which is yeah. Which is a good point. Like, just I think like was it DC DCX Prague that started up? It was like actually a, a handful of guys in Simon's backyard or yeah, his mom's exactly. backyard. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 all, it was almost all the way through actually. That Simon that continued like in, in Simon's garden. <laughs> but uh, but in the end, we we got a hotel. But again, you know, we we, we did it craftily because I've got a mate in Prague who's part owner of a hotel. He gave us a basically we didn't pay him anything. We just pay for the catering, you know, which yeah. was cheap anyway. So we didn't risk anything on that event as well but you're right people you just it's all like it's like warren buffett's like first rule of investing is don't lose money you know i that's my rule of, of events like i have i run plenty of events that don't make any money but i but i rarely lose money now i really try to cut the downside of an event mm-hmm. um and and the upside is you can't control that you know you i've like i say this i i have events that don't make money all the time but Usually it's it's round about the zero. It might make a bit or lose a bit, but I try never to lose a lot. Yeah, it makes sense. If you have an event that's that's continually losing money, do you decide to nix it or what's your your what do you guys do? So what I yeah, good point. I mean I yeah, we wouldn't run it again definitely. But what like what I've learned is if if I announce an event now, I never cancel it ever because I did it once or twice in the old days, like 2012, 13. And it's, it leans to endless hassle because people have booked hotels. You feel bad for them to so say, look, I'll let me pay your hotel. Um, it creates bad karma because people, they don't trust you're going to run your event. So, so now what I do, even if we're going to lose money occasionally, I, I will always run an event, even if it's a small number of people. Um, that, and, and what actually happens is the smaller events often get the best feedback because you know, everyone gets to meet everyone. We, we really put a lot of effort into making sure that everyone has a good time because you never want people complaining, you know. Um, so I, I, my, my personal philosophy is, yeah, if, if an event's losing money, don't run it again, unless, unless, unless something's changed, you know, if you can see something's changing next year, you know, like, like there's a whole bunch of people who you think are going to come, maybe the dates didn't work this year, you know, and they are going to work next year, then run it again. But nine times out of 10, if an event doesn't make money, I won't do it again, but I won't cancel an event once I've announced it. And I, and I would, to anyone running an event, I, if, if I say one piece of advice, it's, it's don't cancel events because so many people do it and it's really annoying. I, I've, I've been a person whose event, events been canceled on me and it's just annoying, you know. Even if the small print says don't book flights and accommodation because we might cancel it, you always do, you know. You think, oh, yeah, yeah. get a good deal on the Airbnb. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I just wouldn't, just don't cancel, just run it. Uh, but protect your downside, you know. Really, really don't spend a lot of money on things unless you've got a lot of attendees already guaranteed. Yeah, you can you can minimize a lot of the um, miscellaneous cost if you're. If, the the key is for me in my experience, the key is to have uh, create the environment, and it doesn't necessarily need to be lavish. It doesn't necessarily. It can be just a bunch of people in an office space, yeah. You know, in a co working space, or depending on your events, you know, wherever, um, even in a park, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you you create if you're good at creating that synergy in that environment so that people are engaging and then having a good time and having intelligent conversation and, and enjoying the 
centers that are there, then it doesn't matter nearly as much. They're going to, what people want is to, to leave with that feeling that that was a great experience, whether it was in a park, whether it was in a zoo or whether it was in yeah. a Ritz, you know. Exactly. And, and I, and yeah, I agree a hundred percent. People, you've got to, people have got to finish on a higher. And what, what I always do, like, you know, what I find is if I'm going to spend money on something, I'll, I'll always do a free drinks networking party because that makes people have a good time. You know, free, everyone loves, who doesn't <laughs> like free drinks, you know, uh, everyone gets to hang out and meet the speakers. And I do that at, at all, all our conferences, every conference we do, we'll do a, and, and it depends on the country, you know, like if we're doing it in Sweden or Norway where it's crazy expensive, maybe we'll only buy the first couple of drinks. It depends how many people come. If we're doing it in, you know, in the US where it's not too bad, we'll, you know, we'll buy the drinks for as long as people stay, you know? So mm-hmm. I, if I would give one, if you're going to, if you're going to spend on something, spend on, on the, uh, on the networking party. Cause definitely people really appreciate that, you know, especially if, you know, if, if it's a case of that, they're not, their companies pay for it or something, you know, then it's, they always do it. <laughs> yeah. And they can loosen up and bond more. And I think when yeah. they, people start bonding like that and they find their commonalities and they start to, to, to open up and that's when you're right. That's when that, that engaging conversation happens. Definitely. Are you, are you going to DC Bangkok this year actually? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Oh, cool. we Perfect. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm surprised I've I've been twice, but we should, I was just thinking if you're interested, we could um maybe do a do a meet you know this we can run the pre-event. We could do an event on on running events if you're interested. We could be something mm. we could propose. Yeah, uh, I have a, a a meetup that I'm already doing. Oh. And uh, but I'm open to, you know, to explore the idea. Cool. Live on air, live proposal on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know we've we've Cross paths before, and 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 I think we've chatted before. I, I tried to. What he wasn't in Bangkok; it was somewhere else. Just really briefly, there's a lot of people around. It was, yeah, I've forgotten where it was. Maybe it was Bangkok actually. Yeah. Do you when you go to Bangkok? Do you go just for DCBKK, or do you hang around in Asia afterwards? Uh, I used to. I've got a. I've just had a kid recently, uh, yeah. so this year I'm just flying. I'm just going to be there for Thursday to Monday, so it's going to be a flying visit this year. But I, I used to. Um, I used to always go to Cebu to uh, work with a team yeah. uh, out there and, you know, usually try to do a trip to Hong Kong or somewhere else while I was over. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great because when you're down there, you can hit up a lot of amazing locations afterwards, which seems like a lot of people like to do. Yeah. Wh- wh- where do you go? Do you just go to Chiang Mai or do you travel around Asia as well? Yeah, for me, um, every year, and this will be my fourth year, I go up to Chiang Mai for you know, six to eight weeks or so, um, because it's, it seems like half the people from DCPKK kind of head up to Chiang Mai and up there, the, the, this, the energy and the excitement. And, and it's like, it's kind of like a college campus for, um, entrepreneurs and yep. DCers after DCPKK. But this, this past year, my girlfriend really wanted to go to an island in Thailand and out and, and she convinced me to go down to Koh Yao Yai, which is off of Phuket yep. and, uh, in the South of Thailand there. So it was a neat experience. That's cool. Yeah. I've never been to Chiang Mai, which is, I've been to Thailand, like millions of times but i've never been to chiang mai it's just i've always some reason i've, I've run events there. i've run two conferences in chiang mai i've still never been yeah well um eventually you have to make it up there and and Definitely. even if it's just a few days like three days four days after dcbkk like you'll have a really good time because it's kind of like yeah because yeah all that energy that you get at, at the dcbkk conference like it, it just overflows into Chiang Mai, and people are just excited to be there and, and going on adventures and having fun 
You know, I think I'll do that with the family next year because the, the good news is that yeah. my wife's really into uh, traveling, you know, with and, and it's great because you know, now she's finished her job, you know, we've got a lot more flexibility in terms of, of uh, longer trips. She really wants to do extended trips to Asia and other places. Just this year, it's the, the baby's only going to be three months old, four months old, so it's kind of really young, you know, but next year for sure, we'll, we'll, we'll go out and spend a month and do Chiang Mai and stuff. Yeah, we stay in a place, it's kind of like... Um uh, a little resort and it's right off the the road it's called green hill place and they have like one and two bedrooms and and uh you can bring the kids and then they have two giant swimming pools and like an open air gym and um a restaurant on location a cafe on location so it's really and it's very quiet in inside the um resort area so sounds good well if we, if we can yeah all being all being well we'll, we'll do that next year i'd love yeah. to do it yeah. Do, you, do you ever do you ever have people coming with with wives or kids? I, I imagine most people are by uh-huh. themselves. But do you have that in your events? Yeah, we sure do. We have people they'll bring their partners, um, you know, and and they can get, uh, you know, a one bedroom or two bedroom and stay there. Nobody's brought a kid, but I encourage it because I would love for somebody, you know, a couple to come and, and they bring a child with them and yeah. stay. And, and have. it's getting to be more of a thing, isn't it? People traveling, yeah. extended trips, or even even fully nomadic people with with children now. It's uh, it's cool, you know. I mean, and even even two or three years ago, I'd, I'd never heard of it, and I was thinking, I kind of thought it was all or nothing. You know, you have a child and you can't travel, but now it's there's plenty of people who do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there's different levels, but but surprisingly, you can travel. I mean, it's getting easier and easier. Surprisingly, you can travel for for good cost with your family and not have to, you know, break the bank to, to go on a, a trip together. You know, you're just relocating the family for a month or two or three or four or six yeah. in a different part of the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, great, man. Um, what else? Do you have anything else that you, you want to share with uh, the listeners before we kind of wrap things up? No, I just to, just to say one thing. If, if anyone's interested, if anybody runs events of any kind, please uh, drop me an email. I don't know if you, if you put my email on the website, but it's dan at eventsframe.com and uh, we'll give you a, a, a hugely discounted price if you want to check out Eventsframe. If, if you run any kind of events, free or paid, we'd love to uh, love to get some more people using it. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your, your wisdom with us. We'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for yeah. um, being open and, and talking to events with us and sharing about your experience. We really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I learned, learned a lot too, so cheers. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining the show. We wanted to remind you about our Get Shit Done one-on-one productivity coaching that we recently just launched. What we do is work with you to create big business goals that are absolutely game changers. We make a plan together and put you in our productivity hacking system that helps you stay on target. Each week, you get a call with yours truly about what steps to take for the following week. Some say it's like a year of productivity in just three months. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching. Thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching.